It was very interesting that Brian started off talking about the joy this morning of the cool weather, of football, and of coming to church. And I guess my question for Brian is, were they all three equal joys? You see, I, I love football as well, and um, I know he prayed for all the chief wins this year, and I don't know, next week it's going to be tough as they have to play my mighty Steelers, but, uh, but I love football. And one of the reasons I love football is not just because it's very entertaining to watch, and maybe I'm a violent guy and maybe I love violence, but I love football because I think it illustrates the church. You may say, Mark, how does football illustrate the church? Well, first of all, you're just going to realize that there are going to be 60,000 people watching 22 people getting all the exercise, and the 60,000 are in desperate need of exercise, and often that is the way church is. The majority of people are sitting and watching and observing, and they're not participating, and they're not getting their exercise spiritually, but I think it goes a bigger illustration. The illustration is that Jesus Christ is our coach. And obviously the Holy Spirit is our coach as well, and he's given us the instruction book. And sort of in some way, we as pastors, we're sort of the quarterback. And we, we call certain plays, and those certain plays require not the, the audience, but the congregation, the church, to execute those plays. And if we don't execute those plays, we're not going to win. You see, winning football games isn't because somebody usually calls a better game than the other person. It's about execution. Did the wide receivers run the right routes? Did the defenders get in their spots? Did, did, did the blockers block the people that they were supposed to block? Did the quarterback release the ball when he was supposed to release it? Was there a proper handoff? And when it comes to the church here at Harrisonville Community Church, we basically have four plays, and they're very simple plays, and if we execute those plays, we're going to win as a church. But if we don't execute those plays, we're going to fumble, or we're going to lose, or we're not going to win. We're not going to have energy and excitement and joy in coming to church. Well, what are those four plays? Well, one of the plays is get in the game. Get in the game means we serve. We volunteer, we help, we minister, we, we actually are pastors ourselves. We're in the game and we're serving. And again, as a quarterback, all I can do is say, hey, there's children's ministry, there's youth ministry, there, there's guest services. There, there's other types of ministry to be on the worship team. There's ministry in small groups. All you gotta do is take the ball. That's one of our plays. Another one of our plays is groups, getting people connected with one another to encourage one another, support one another. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Circles win. That's one of our plays, groups. But if you don't get in a group, if you're not in a relationship, you're not in a connection, again, there's going to be a fumble. We're not going to win. There's generosity. It's about giving first, not just 
giving 10%, but it's about having a heart that is generous to give and, and looks forward, actually, for the opportunity to give. And last but not least, there's this whole concept that we talk about, sit with me. And I believe this is probably one of the most important plays that we run, is that we, we ask each other to invite people to sit with us, not just at church, but to sit with us in our groups or, or to sit with us for lunch or to sit with us and have a relationship or like we looked last week, if you're going through a difficult time, to go in to sit with somebody. And one of the reasons we're doing this whole Sit With Me series is because I believe very strongly that God has called us to be the church. The verse that I shared last week, and we're sort of going to go back and forth between some of these. The verse I shared last week is to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. Last week we looked at, can we weep with those who are weeping? Can we, can we sympathize? And can we connect with those who are hurting and broken? And can we come alongside them and put our arms around them and hug them and cry with them? But it's also, can we rejoice with those who rejoice? Can we be glad and celebrate? I think of two events that we can all relate to. Weddings and funerals. You know, the Glazners had a wedding a couple of days ago, and I'm sure for them it was a joyful occasion to see Jody to get married. And it's joyful when people can come alongside and they can celebrate marriage and a new beginning and a couple becoming one and to rejoice with them and to celebrate them. Funerals are just the same, and many of us in the church, we're scared of funerals. We don't want to be around funerals, but... Ecclesiastes says it's better to be at a funeral and to come along someone who is hurting and broken and again to cry with them and to have your presence with them. You see, I believe just like there's a great football team out there that can execute a great church. And so if you're a guest today and if you're trying to figure out what we're trying to be as a church, we're going to talk about it today. And I'm glad you're here because we want to be a church that's a great church and a great church isn't one that just has a great speaker or great music or a great children's ministry or a great youth ministry. A great church is a church that figured out how to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. Where there is healing and there is hope and there is encouragement for those who are struggling and hurting and they know that they can come to church Again, not to come and sit and hear a good message and walk out and say, well, that was interesting, and never to think about it again, but know that there's a place where there's connections that they can relate to one another and encourage one another. So this is what I want us to do. I want us to open up our Bibles to Psalm 122. Psalm 122. If you don't have your Bible or you can't pull it up on your phone, I would encourage you to just take out your program on the back of your program. I have two of the key verses that we're going to look at from Psalm 122. Psalm 122. There was a variety of psalms, and they were sort of like uh, spiritual songs. They were songs that they actually sang when they were going to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. They were called pilgrims' songs or 
going on a journey type of songs. Um, they, were, they were exciting times because everybody was excited to go to worship. Notice what it says in Psalm 122, verse 1. I was glad. I was filled with joy. One translation says, I, I, I leaped for joy. I, I, I did an extra kick in my, in my step. I, I was so excited when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Or literally, maybe he's saying, we made a commitment to go to the house of the Lord together. And I was so excited. I was so glad. I, I was so pleased. Verse 2, our feet had been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city. It's a, it's a well-built city. It's well-structured that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks, to worship God. Not, not to go and hear a message or, or to sing a song, but to give thanks to the Lord because the Lord is awesome. Their thrones for judgment were set. The thrones of the house of God. And then he says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within their walls and security within their towers. For my brothers and my companions' sake. So some say, for, for my friends and for my family's sake. I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, for the people of God, I will seek your good or I will do what's best for the church, for God's people, for, for what the Lord is doing in his kingdom. What I want to do this morning is just sort of give us a series of thoughts and ideas and principles that I believe that this psalm is saying to us as it relates to the church. Now, obviously, David is the psalmist who is speaking here, and he's talking about going not just to Jerusalem, but he's talking about going to the house of the Lord, which you may be thinking is the temple, but probably in all likelihood, this is still the tabernacle. So this is the tent, and he's going there because the Ark of the Covenant is there. And he's very excited to see God's presence and power and to worship him and to give thanks to him. Here's the first principle that I want us to see. Others leap for joy when we leap for joy first. Others leap for joy when we leap for joy first. You see, you can't invite people to sit with you at church. You, you can't invite people to, to participate in a small group. You can't invite, invite people to be in the youth ministry or whatever it is if, if you don't enjoy it yourself. If you, you're not excited about it, if you, if you don't love it. it it's very interesting. I, I was coming across some t statistics as it relates to tailgating. You know... Throughout this year, millions of people are going to tailgate. Have you ever asked yourself, and, and maybe you're a tailgater, but who's tailgating? And it's very interesting when you think about the church and you think about those who tailgate, are they the same crowd? Well, we'll see here, probably not. 60% of people who tailgate are between the ages of 25 and 44. Interesting 
the population or the people that are not attending church today are usually people 25 through 44. In fact, they're becoming de-churched or they're frustrated with church. They don't see any joy in church. They don't want to go to church. There's, there's no meaning. There's no purpose. There's no excitement. It's interesting. 80% are men. We wonder where the men are in the church today. They're down there tailgating, I guess. It's interesting, 60% have a college education. They probably learned to tailgate in college, but uh, 60% of them have a college degree. 50% of them are going to go 10 times a year. That means they're going to almost all of the games, all the opportunities they can to tailgate. This is interesting. Who does the shopping for the tailgating? You know, in the church, the women do, it seems like the women do all the work and the men just sort of walking behind the lady. It's interesting. 50% of the men are doing the shopping for tailgating just as much as the women are. How much money is spent on tailgating? 50% of people spend over $500 a year on tailgating. 50% will travel at least one hour to tailgate. And get this, 51% of people will take three to four hours to set up before the game. Now I was thinking about that last week. What would happen if people came three to four hours early for church? Well, they would if there was some love and some excitement and some joy in the church. You see, you can't get people excited about coming to church unless you're excited about coming to church. If you don't see the big picture, and if you don't change the perspective, and I have to do this myself. You know, there was a pastor one day, he didn't want to go to church, and so he decided he was just going to go play golf. So he called in sick and said, hey, I can't go to church today. I'm not feeling too well. And he knew that he was going to go golf. He's out there golfing, and he's actually having a pretty good game. And Peter and the boys are up there talking to Jesus, and they say, hey, you see what's going on down there? Jesus saying, I see what's going on down there. Goes, comes to a par three, 150 yards out, gets out his club. Jesus is like, I'm going to show him. Boom, he hits it, and hole in one. Peter and the boys are like, what is going on? A hole in one, Jesus. He said, yeah, who's he going to (laughs) tell? You got to love church. And again, it's the concept of church. It's not the messages, it's not the music, it's the relationships. It's coming to connect with people who are on a journey just like you're on a journey. People who can sing that we have been set free with together and we can go and we can talk to them and say, how, how are you doing in your freedom? You doing well in your freedom? It's about those who we can say, it is well with my soul. How's it with your soul? Is it doing well? You see, if if church is more than just 
three songs and a message and an offering and we go out and we forget about what happened. Yeah, nobody's going to love that. But if we love the church, we love the people, we love what God is doing. Notice what he said. I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. This is David. And by the way, David is in Jerusalem, so he's not even traveling very far. He's excited that he's getting to go to the house of the Lord. Why? He's getting to go to the house of the Lord with fellow believers. Now again, we don't know whether he is king yet or he is anticipating being king. He's not saying, oh, I'm going to love going to the house of the Lord because everybody's going to come and celebrate me. No, he's saying, I am going to the house of the Lord because that is where God is at work. That's where God's presence and his power and his peace is. Simon Sinek, I I really love what he has to say about businesses. And by the way, if, if you're a guest today or if you're a church person today and you really don't care about the church, these principles will apply to your business as well. And Simon Sinek, who writes a lot on business, he says that You know, your customers won't love your business or your company until you love it first. And I've always said that, that that church people need to love the church. Otherwise, outsiders aren't going to love the church. They're not going to be excited if somebody invites them to come to church or a church event if they don't love it first. David understood this. He had an excitement and a love for the church. Here's the second thing. We leap for joy when we seek the Lord first. I I was going to say we leap for joy when we love the Lord first, but I I think that's too common. Obviously, David had a love for the Lord, but he was seeking it first. It, It was his number one priority. It was his number one value was the Lord. Because he knew that the Lord had a kingdom and the Lord was building his kingdom. You're saying, oh yes, but David was going to be a king in that kingdom. Yes, he is. But it wasn't about him being king over the kingdom. It was about his love for the Lord. David would often be ascribed as a man after God's own heart. David, you can read in Psalm 24, multiple psalms. Psalm 27, he talks about how he desires to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why? Because the Lord's presence is there. To seek first the Lord. Notice what he says. He says, let us go together. Some some translations say it was more determined than that. He was glad and he was excited because we will go. We will go to the house of the Lord together. When I lived in San Diego, and for various reasons, sometimes I couldn't get the Steelers games, and sometimes I didn't always have direct TV to watch the Steelers games, I'd go to a Steelers bar. And should I admit I went to a Steelers bar? But I I just did, so okay. So I went to a Steelers bar. And um, I drank my iced tea, though, okay? So, so you can all feel relaxed about that. But there's a stage in a Steelers game where everybody starts shouting, here we go, Steelers, here we go, boom, boom, here we go, Steelers, here we go. And the whole bar is so excited because they all are there together rooting for their team. 
My desire as a pastor is for the church to be a place where people aren't saying, here we go, Steelers, here we go, Christ, here we go, Lord, here we go, King of Kings, here we go, Lord of Lords. And we are going together to seek the Lord. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 6. He says, seek first his kingdom. Seek first his righteousness. Seek first the Lord. Make the Lord your number one priority. Not, not your family, not your friends, not your business, not your success. But make the Lord the one that you seek first. And until you can get your arms around seeking the Lord first, you will never be leaping for joy. It starts with our relationship with the Lord and seeking him that produces the joy. It's very interesting for an Israelite, for Psalm 122 to make sense. They understood that they would go three times a year to Jerusalem for the Passover. And then there was a couple of feasts, the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of the Booths. And they would go for these feasts and they would go three times a year. And it meant everything. They would load up their family, they, they, they would load up their possessions, but you know what they would do? They would also bring their offering because they knew they were going to the Lord to give thanks. It was a sacrifice. It, it meant something. But they did it because they were seeking God first. And I don't know about you, but not just because I'm a pastor, but because I'm, I'm a part of God's household. I want to be a part of a church where other people are seeking him first as well. Because that is what is important, is seeking the Lord first and foremost, which causes us to leap for joy. Here's the next principle that I want us to understand. Um, we leap for joy when we believe in the church. You say, Mark, again, this is David. David believed in Jerusalem. David, three times he's talking about Jerusalem. Well, why is Jerusalem so important? Because he knew that that was the place that God had chosen to bring the south and the north together under different tribes and different perspectives. And it was right in the middle. It was strategic. It was a great location. And Jerusalem was a place that, that God's city was and where God dwelt and and David believed in what the king of kings and the Lord of lords was doing. He trusted God and he believed in that. He believed that the Lord was doing what was best for the nation of Israel. He believed that the Lord was doing what was best for Jerusalem. He believed that the Lord was doing what was best for the house of the Lord. If you read about the tabernacle, if you read about the temple, it was the best. The best location, the, the, the best, um, the best uh, objects went into it. Everything was gold. It, it was just the, the best resources were put into the temple because they believed that the Lord was providing what was best for them. It's very interesting. Long before essential oils, there was this product called Shackley. Anybody remember Shackley? Uh, a couple of the churches I pastored in, I had people that were Shackley fanatics. And they believed in Shackley. 
And I've had allergies my whole life. And I remember the one church I was at, there was a lady that uh, everywhere she went, she had alfalfa pills. And for a while, I think I probably had 2,000 alfalfa pills in my cabinet at home. But it was very interesting. If I sneezed or coughed or whatever, and we were at a meeting, she pulled out the alfalfa pills. Why? Because she believed in her Shackley products that they were going to take care of my allergies. And it was very interesting. One time I was talking to this guy who was an elder in one of my churches, and he, he believed in Shackley like you wouldn't believe. And so he, he was all about it, and he said, he said, Mark, you know, we could get people excited about the church if they believed in it just the way I believed in Shackley. And, and we get this today, don't we, sort of with essential oils? I don't know, some teacher, maybe it was Michelle, was telling me, you know, that, that some kid has some behavior problems, and he's like, oh, I'm all right, I, I got essential oils on me. Somebody in that family believes essential oils is going to determine the behavior of that child. We need people who believe that Jesus said he will build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus is building the church. It's a group of people connected to one another, doing whatever it takes to minister and to love. You see, a great church... A great church, again, is a church where people who are hurting and broken can come and find healing in the body of Christ. Too often, I think, we, we come to church hoping church will fix our problems or fix the bad week or, or fix our emotions or our feelings. That's not what the church is about. The church is not about fixing. The church is about transformation and changing from the inside out who we are. And that is the only instrument that, that Jesus is using right now to bring hope and encouragement to the world. It's, it's through the local church. And obviously he uses the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, but he's, he's building his church that is going towards the kingdom. And if we believe in it, we will leap for joy. If we just believe that church is just a place I go and I sit and I'm bored and I don't get it and I'm overwhelmed and... I'm hoping to be fixed. That's not where it's at. We leave for joy when we understand the church is the answer. The church is the answer that Jesus Christ is providing for us to minister to one another. Christ said that he is going to dwell in his church and he richly dwells in that church in the hearts and the minds of believers so that they can minister to one another. And we leap for joy when we believe that. Here's the next truth. We leave for joy when we act justly and love mercy. We leave for joy when the church is being the church. I don't know if you've noticed, uh, Naomi was talking about Nicaragua having some problems. It looks like they got a lot worse problems than we have in America today. But America has a lot of issues, a lot of fighting, a, a lot of disunity and division and it's all built around are we making america great again and are again the anthem protests that are going on today and all that and and we get so focused you know america's going to be great today if we just what lower taxes and and fix a few problems is that what's going to make america great today or everybody's got a job or we're all going to be standing for the 
the, the national anthem? Now, again, I'm, I'm not trying to make any political points. What I'm trying to say is when we look at the word of God, it's justice and mercy that is, exists in the kingdom of Israel. And that is what Jesus is trying to build on the Sermon on the Mountain, that we love people justly and we provide mercy and grace for them. And that is what's going to make Jerusalem great again. That's what's going to make the church great again. Notice in chapter 3, notice what it says, Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set in the thrones of the house of God. When we think about act justly and love mercy, we're talking about two T words. We're talking about tribes and we're talking about thrones. Thrones is about kingdoms. It's about reigning. It's about ruling. It's about acting justly. It's about justice. And when we talk about Jerusalem, we're talking about the mercy because the people are there. And it's a well-built city that is built for the people, as we will see. It's very interesting. Our church name is Harrisonville Community Church. I think it fits right in here to Psalm 122. Why? Because we are a church, but we also exist in Harrisonville, and we exist in the midst of a community. And when we act justly, and when we love mercy, and when we care about people more than we care about our rights and our privileges and our preferences, but when we start really caring about people, and we start acting justly, and we start loving mercy, watch out, because that is why we are Harrisonville Community Church. We're not just existing here to exist until what? Do we build a new building or to, to something changes? No, we exist to constantly be thinking about justice and mercy. And you leap for joy when that's your focus. If your focus is on something else for the church than to be acting justly and to loving mercy, you're missing it. We named uh, our son Micah after Micah 6, 8. And that is this verse. And I don't know if you know what comes next, but what comes next is it requires us to walk humbly with our God. And until we get rid of our pride and our arrogance and we start saying, you know, other people do matter. Other people do have pain. They have brokenness. And we as the church, we need to come alongside them instead of being against them. We need to start being for them. We need to start encouraging them. Then we will leap for joy. Here's the other principles that I want us to know, and we'll go through those quickly. Others leap for joy when we give our best. Let your eyes jump down to verse 9. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Some translation says, I will give it my best. I will do what is beautiful. I'll do what is just. I'll do what is true. I'm going to give it my all. I'm all in. You see, people aren't going to be excited about the church, and you're not going to be excited about the church, and you're not going to be leaping for joy if you're not bringing your A game. If if you're not coming to give your best and to do what is good. It's a very, very simple 
principle that we need to seek the Lord, but we need to seek to worship him. Notice what it says in verse 9. It says, for the sake of the house of the Lord. You know, we used to talk about wearing our Sunday best. And I'm saying we need to give our best. And we need to come with the best intentions, the best efforts, the, the best sacrifices, the best commitment possible. We need to be all in. And again, it's about the house of the Lord. <laughs> it's about Christ. And what he's trying to do with his church. We give our best. Notice this real quick. We give our best when we pray for one another. Notice verse 6. It says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray that they may be secure or prosper. For those who love you. Pray for peace within your walls. And security within the towers. You see, we need to be a praying church. And for some reason... Our prayers have gone south. Not only are we not excited about praying together anymore. I remember when we did one cry. We, we did a prayer time in the afternoon and we did a prayer time in the evening. And we were lucky if we had six or seven people show up. I know one of the, the frustrations um, that I've heard back from me is, you know, on small groups is we, we, we need to be sharing our prayer requests so we can be praying for one another and and that's fine. And what I, I try to say, though, is I want us sharing less of our prayer requests and doing more of the praying. See, whenever I read Scripture, it's not about the prayer request. It's about the prayer. And David is praying for peace and prosperity. He's praying for peace and success. And our prayer should be, before we come to church, praying for the people here that they will experience the peace of God. Literally the rest of God. And the, and the, the success or the, the prosperity, it's not talking about financial, it's talking about spiritual. It's talking about being at rest with the Lord, being quiet in our spirits, being calm. And we struggle. We as Christians struggle. We struggle with anxiety, we struggle with depression, we struggle with all the worries and concerns we have and, and we're turning to so many things. We're, we're smoking, we're chewing, we're drinking, we're doing everything we can to take in medication, hoping, hoping that we can find some peace and tranquility. But that's what we need to be praying for. And we pray it within the walls. And what has happened in the church today, there's so much division, there's no peace, there, there's no security it's not a safe place and what we want to be as a church we want to be a safe place that is strategic and significant so again lives can be touched for the glory of God we also give our best when we value purpose over preference we value purpose over preference Probably about 20 years ago, I went to a conference in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And it was, a, it was a church conference on transitioning a church to become more from a preference church to a purpose-driven church. And the same they would use over and over and over again. Purpose over preference. Purpose over preference. Purpose over preference. The reason so many of you sometimes get frustrated with the church, or you get frustrated with me, is because of your preferences. 
rather than the purpose. And I'm just going to be as honest as I can be. I have preferences too. And just because I'm the pastor here, it doesn't mean my preferences take priority. It's about the purpose. And so when it comes to music, we all have preferences. Some of us want traditional, some of us want contemporary, some of us want mellow, some of us want loud. We, we, we got our preferences. When it comes even to the ministries in the church, we all have our preferences on how they should be done or the way they should be done or where we should do them or when we should do them. We all have preferences. We have preferences what the small groups should look like. When it comes to money, we all have preferences on where the money should be spent or who should ask for the money or how should we get the money or should we use an offering box? Should we do it online? Should we pass the offering plate? Well, we all have our preferences. But notice what David is saying. He's saying, for my brothers and companions, or for my friends and my families, for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I'm going to put my preferences aside for the purpose of the church. And the purpose of the church is to become a place where people are glad when they say, we are going to the house of the Lord. And that's so hard. It is so hard because we do all have our preferences, but we need to understand there is a greater purpose for the sake of our family and friends. And for some of us, it's for the sake of our family and friends who are de-churched right now or who don't go to church, who don't get church, who don't get God, who don't get a relationship with God. And then there's the, the inside. For us as a church, we need to be doing what's best for those who do call this place home. We need to do what is best for them as well. And that will always create a tension. But the focus must always, always, always be purpose over preference. Purpose over preference. Here's the last truth that I want you to know. We give our best when we understand this principle. We give of our time, talent, treasure, and touch. Some of you might recall the old membership forms. Some of you might recall the new membership forms. Some of you might recall membership forms at other churches. And usually it is pretty standard. You need to be good stewards and you need to be willing to commit of your time, of your talents, and your treasure. I, I heard uh, Truett Cathy, who founded Chick-fil-A, he wrote a book called The Generosity Factor, and it changes my perspective on stewardship. He added touch. Because it's not about just giving your time. It's not just about giving your treasure. It's not just about giving your talent. It's also about giving your touch. Why? Because people are people, and people need to experience the love of God. And we give our best when we give, when we give. A couple of weeks ago, we were at a conference in Fort Wayne, and the one thing that they did was a financial conference and, uh, on financial health, and they were talking about pastors' financial health, and they were also talking about the financial health of the church. And George Barna, who does a lot of research, and he researched over 50,000, I think, church goers and he found out that 50 percent of churchgoers give less than 50 dollars per week to church 
50% give less than $50. 20% give less than 500 So you're talking 70% of people who attend church today give less than $500 back to the Lord. So 30% give above 500. You say, well, Mark, why, why are you focusing on giving? Well, I could focus on them all. We need our time. We need people who are committed to going to church, not just half the time, not just once a month. Now that is the new norm. We're just going to go once a month. No, we go to church every Sunday. Why? Because that is what's best for the house of the Lord. We serve in a ministry. Why? Because that's what's best for you, but that's what's best for the house of the Lord. Somebody told me the other day, we've, we've had a lot of kids in our children's ministry, and they're just like, hey, we need to recruit more people. Yes, but we not only need to recruit more people in children's ministry, we need to recruit them in youth ministry, in small group ministry, and guest services. We need people who are serving and excited about serving and giving of their talents. It's sort of interesting when you, you do think about giving. I, I was asking my son Micah, who lives in Phoenix, I was asking him about tipping. And I said, how much do you tip? His answer was $5. I said, what? He's like, I don't care what the bill is, I give $5. I was like, okay. Maybe that's the way uh, 20-year-olds do it this uh, day and age, you know? I'm just going to give $5. And I, I sort of was curious. I'm like, what happens if it, the bill's only $10? $5. I was like, what happens if it's $100? $5. And then yesterday, I was out eating myself, and, you know, it used to be, it used to be my, my parents, they, they were just like 10%. It was like a 10% rule. And, and now you notice you're, you're, there's a suggested tipping. And I noticed the other day, 10% and 15% wasn't even on this card. It was 20%, 25%, and 30%. And I almost said to myself, even though I love to eat out, I almost said, I'm done eating out. This is getting ridiculous on the tipping. But you know what I've noticed? I've, I've talked to other parents, and they, they're like, yeah, I'm a great tipper. And I'm a great tipper because I think about my daughter working in that restaurant, or I think about that employee needing an extra break. And so, so I, I've become a generous tipper. And here's the problem. I think too many of us think of going to church and giving to the church like tipping. Not just financially, but we're going to give our tip to the Lord. And some of us are just like my son, $5, $5. But God has asked us to give of our best and to, and to give to him fully and generously and to have a generous spirit. And when we do that, we'll be the church that God has called us to be. Because my desire is Acts 2.42. And we're going to talk about this in the Sit With Me series. And, the, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of the bread, and to prayer. They were a church that put purpose over preference. They, the early church understood relationships and love and sacrifice and giving. Why? Because they knew their Savior gave it all for them. 